0: Welcome back to Between the Killers and Me. We're your hosts. I'm Eden.
1: And I'm Charlie. And we are here to kick off your weekends with new cases of murder, mystery, and survival every week. On today's episode, we're continuing our coverage of the many crimes of Israel Keys. This is part two to our Israel Keys episode. We uploaded part one last week. So if you haven't watched that yet, Go watch that first because a lot of this will not make sense.
0: You got to know who this man is. Okay? Get this
1: context. We will have the link to part one at the top of our episode description. And if I can figure out how to do it, I'll have it pop up on the YouTube screen somewhere as well. Become one of those YouTube girlies. That segues very well into my next point, which is we are on YouTube. We, yeah. have a, we upload video versions of our podcast.
0: If you're more of a visual type of person, head on to the YouTube.
1: Which also segues us well into our next point. We're on basically every podcast platform out there. So find us on there if you want to listen to us on the go. And we'd also love to hear from you. We have some polls on Spotify. And feel free to leave some comments on YouTube as well. We'd love to hear from you. Just no hate comments. No hate comments.
0: Which, again, segues into our next point in which... Please do not harass anyone we talk about in today's case. During our discussions, we are expressing our own opinions based on facts we find about the case.
1: Trigger warning for content we'll mention in today's episode. There will be mentions of sexual assault and suicide. I think we mentioned the suicide warning in last episode, but we definitely talk about it in this one. So just a quick recap of last week's episode. We left off at the disappearance of Bill and Lorraine Courier. It's 2011, and Israel Keys doesn't appear that he's going to stop his spree anytime soon. However, word of his existence has begun to pop up in the media. An image of him disguised was published in hopes to find the man who robbed a bank in Tupper Lake, New York. And a police sketch depicting Israel was published in 2011, in hopes it would lead to Bill and Lorraine's remains.
0: Less than a year after Bill and Lorraine Courier's disappearance, Israel Keyes committed his most infamous act, one that would surely catch the attention of investigators. In 2012, he confessed to the murder of Samantha Koenig, an 18-year-old barista from Alaska. In this chilling instance, Keyes broke his own rule by selecting a victim who lived close to him, causing the line between his regular life and his sinister alter ego to blur. Samantha Koenig was a vibrant young woman with her entire life ahead of her. Working as a barista at a local coffee stand, she was diligently cleaning and organizing things on a quiet Wednesday evening on February 1st, 2012. The surveillance footage captures her dedicated work as she prepares to serve a customer. However, her routine takes a horrifying turn when a man wearing a ski mask approaches the stand and requests a coffee. Oblivious to the danger, Samantha begins to fulfill the order but her world shatters when the man reveals a gun, turning a simple transaction into a terrifying nightmare. The armed intruder demands the money from the coffee stand and then forces his way inside. With Samantha in his grasp, he binds her hands with zip ties, and with cold determination, he leads her away from the coffee stand. Her fate now irrevocably intertwined with the sinister intentions of Israel Keys. In the chilling aftermath of the abduction, the masked intruder, Israel Keys lays out his disturbing plan to Samantha Koenig, He intends to demand ransom from her family and believes the community will rally together to raise the funds. Despite Samantha's plea that her family is not wealthy, the intruder remains unwavering in his intentions. As they approach his truck, Samantha seizes a moment of desperation and tries to escape, but Keith quickly apprehends her, asserting his control by placing a gun to her head. He coldly threatens her with the silent ammunition, making it clear that any resistance will be met with lethal consequences. Forced to comply, Samantha is taken to his truck, where Keyes retrieves her cell phone and strategically uses it to send misleading text messages to her boss and boyfriend, suggesting that she needs some time away. With her phone now disabled, Keyes demands Samantha's debit card, which she reveals is in the truck she shares with her boyfriend. He drives her to his home, locking her in an outdoor shed and cranking up the radio to muffle any potential cries for help. Repeatedly threatening her, he demands the location of the debit card and the PIN number for the account. Fearing for her life, Samantha shares the information, and Keyes departs to retrieve her debit card, leaving her confined and terrified in the shed. The situation outside Samantha Koenig's house took an unexpected turn when her boyfriend confronted Keyes during his attempt to break into their shared truck. A brief scuffle ensued, but Keyes managed to slip away, leaving her boyfriend to seek help inside the house. In the critical moments that followed, Keyes swiftly retrieved the debit card and made his escape, leaving Samantha's fate hanging in the balance. On his way back to his home, Keyes put the debit card to the test and confirmed its functionality. He wasted no time in withdrawing money from Samantha Koenig's account before returning to his residence. Once there, he subjected Samantha to horrifying acts, sexually assaulting her and then asphyxiating her. Tragically, just hours after her abduction, Samantha Koenig's life came to a devastating end leaving her family, friends, and loved ones completely unaware of her whereabouts for months.
1: Just mere hours after murdering the teenager, Israel would leave the body of Samantha in his frigid outdoor shed to simply wait while he, accompanied by his family, flew to New Orleans where they would board a two-week cruise around the Gulf of Mexico. This trip was pre-booked and would be departing from a completely different city, leading some to speculate whether or not he'd planned to do something like this all along, or maybe it was just very convenient timing for him to leave the vicinity right after the crime. Maybe, knowing this was coming up, he decided to do something. These getaways were a routine for him, providing a means to spend the money taken from his victims and to briefly escape the heat of his crimes. Meanwhile, the Koning family and Samantha's loved ones were left in agonizing uncertainty, desperate for any word on her whereabouts. The only communication they had received were the cryptic text messages followed by the unsettling incident of an intruder breaking into Samantha's truck and stealing her debit card. Also, I just wanted to note here that this murder feels different from Israel's others. Granted, at this point, we only know that Bill and Lorraine are the two confirmed victims of Israel, and we will speak more about speculation on one particular victim later as well. But he was really meticulous, which is why we don't know exactly who he killed. So leaving a body in a shed on his property for two weeks seems really risky.
0: My thing is, my... Speculative theory here is that it went to his head, like he was like, I've gone away, I've gotten away with all of these murders and bank robberies. On top of that, he probably was like, I'm, I'm good, like I'm, I'm good, like I, I've committed so many crimes, like I'm the best. I can do whatever I
1: want. I'm the best. I can do whatever I want. I'm gonna commit one at home. Cause why do I have to travel?
0: Cause he had like a written not maybe probably not written but an unwritten rule of rules
1: yeah which we spoke about in last episode i believe
0: yeah if you go back to the previous episode we go over his you know criminal rules one of which was that he did not want to kill anybody in the same area as him because you know it might be able to connect him to the murders So I feel like he was like, I'm in my prime time. I just did like a really big double murder. I can, I can handle an 18 year old's body, but a little spoiler, this is where he gets caught.
1: When Keyes returned to Anchorage on February 17th, he devised a plan to immerse the Koning family in a whole new world of hurt. He finally planned to set his ransom ideas into motion. Keyes returned to the shed where Samantha's body still was, preserved by the harsh and crispy cold Alaskan winter. To feign proof of life, Keys retrieved a newspaper with a recent date and began his work to make it appear as if Samantha were alive. He carefully applied makeup to her face to bring back a bright, youthful glow, and he braided her hair as he learned to do for his own daughter, Keyes then took the time to sew Samantha's eyelids open, and while posing the four-day-old newspaper next to her, he snapped a Polaroid of her body. He then photocopied the Polaroid and used a typewriter he'd purchased to type a demand for $30,000 on the back. And on February 24th, Keyes would make his way to Connors Bog Park, where he stapled his ransom under a memorial flyer for a dog named Albert. Following this... Israel would send Samantha's boyfriend a message that read, quote, Connor Park sign under pick of Albert. Ain't she purdy? End quote. And this ransom note was recovered by Anchorage police. I did want to make a note here that you will see a recreation of this ransom photo online. The photo online is not the actual ransom photo. It was recreated for a tv special or something from what i could find but it is not the actual ransom photo and that can simply be deduced by the fact that in the image the woman's hair is not braided it was just a recreation it's it's creepy though it is creepy and they did a good job probably
0: i saw it it looked
1: pretty real yeah they yeah those those were posted all over this this public park in anchorage Unsure of any other steps to take, and desperate for the return of his daughter, Samantha's father deposited money raised with the help of the community into Samantha's bank account, as per Israel Keyes' instructions. The money was allegedly, quote, a fraction, end quote, of what Keyes initially requested. This was done intentionally in order to keep a line of communication open between the family and the perpetrator, who may come back asking for more. Meanwhile, Keys had just dismembered and disposed of Samantha's body by cutting it into pieces and then cutting pieces away of the thick ice that covered the frozen Matanuska Lake before shoving these body parts through the icy cutouts and into the expanse of dark water below. I know we spoke about it before, but like at this point, I can only assume that he was like on top of the world because he was getting like really sloppy. This just seems like a really easy way to get caught
0: yep especially (laughs) what i'm just about to go into it's just like dude are you like really not like that stupid
1: yeah apparently
0: because he's smart he was
1: very smart up until samantha he was it's baffling i think yeah just his ego
0: now that the money was in samantha's bank account investigators began to monitor the spending and noticed multiple withdrawals being made the withdrawals were made in various locations spanning Anchorage, Arizona, Texas, and New Mexico. The magnitude of the case escalated rapidly as the FBI and Texas Rangers joined the investigation. As the police traced the withdrawals, they realized that the person behind them was driving a weight forward focus. By chance, a couple of Texas highway patrolmen encountered Keys, who matched the description of the person of interest in this now federal case. Looking for any excuse to pull him over for questioning, they promptly pulled him over when he sped just above the limit and detained him. Unaware of the true nature of the man they had apprehended, the patrolmen efficiently handled the situation. During the investigation, they had discovered Koenig's cell phone in the trunk of Keyes' car and later found her debit card in his wallet. With the 34-year-old Keyes now in custody for Samantha Koenig's murder, the police had no idea that they had stumbled upon a complex, enigmatic web woven by one of the most methodical serial killers of recent times. The mystery surrounding Keys and his dark deeds was about to unfold, revealing a chilling tapestry of crimes. During the seven months following his arrest, Israel Keys reluctantly agreed to be interviewed by investigators. However, he remained guarded and elusive in sharing the full extent of his dark secrets. Throughout the interviews, Keyes dropped cryptic hints and made veiled references that suggested that there might be more victims. Israel Keyes began to confess to federal investigators about his involvement in the mysterious disappearance of Bill and Lorraine Currier, the couple who had vanished without a trace a year earlier. But as time went on, Keyes revealed many more crimes he had committed during his dark and elusive spree. Among his admissions was the arson of a house in Texas on February 16, 2012, which occurred just a day before he returned to Anchorage to demand ransom for Samantha Koenig's supposed safe return. He confessed to multiple bank robberies in various Texas towns and others in the state of New York, crimes for which he had never been suspected. As investigators peeled back the layers of Key's twisted psyche, he claimed responsibility for at least eight killings. However, many suspected that this number was just the tip of the iceberg. Given the extensive travels he had undertaken throughout the country and internationally, some theorized that Keyes could be connected to dozens of unsolved disappearances. Keyes provided additional details regarding the abduction and murder of a female. The female is described as having pale skin, possibly having a wealthy grandmother, and driving an older car at the time of her abduction. Keyes did admit one killing where the body was recovered, but he slyly hinted that law enforcement might have mistakenly ruled the death as an accident. That
1: makes me so mad.
0: This posed a daunting challenge for investigators, as without a clear confession, pinpointing the true identity of this victim proved to be virtually impossible. The depth of Keyes' malevolence and the extent of his crimes remained shrouded in darkness, leaving a trail of unanswered questions and unresolved mysteries in his wake investigators were left grappling with the possibility of there being eight additional victims a chilling prospect supported by keys ambiguous comments of his body count of quote less than a dozen end quote and the disturbing drawings of 11 skulls he created in his cell using his own blood which we will mention more on later
1: we mentioned this a lot in our first episode part one but israel keys never sought the notoriety of other serial killers CBC notes that the FBI said that while Keyes was in custody, he was slow to come forward with details, warning investigators he would stop talking if his name was released publicly. It appeared that he was extremely concerned about how his daughter viewed him, which caused him not to want his name publicized. Keyes reportedly made a promise to himself to never kill children, or parents of children, due to a relation in his mind to his daughter, as... He was anxious how people may view her and how she would subsequently view her murderer father. On December 2nd, 2012, while detained at the Anchorage Correctional Complex on suspicion of multiple murders, Israel Keys found a way to conceal a razor blade in his cell. Despite being restricted from using razor blades and required to shave with an electric razor under supervision, Keyes managed to extract a blade from a shaving razor. In a chilling and desperate act, he used the blade to slit his own wrist and set up a makeshift noose with sheets in an attempt to hang himself. Tragically, Ezreal Keyes succeeded in taking his own life at the age of 34. Before he died, Keyes left behind a blood-stained suicide letter, forever sealing away the darkest corners of his malevolent mind. Despite months of interrogations and interviews with federal authorities, the elusive serial killer, ensured that his secrets would remain buried with him. His suicide left investigators and the families of his victims with haunting questions and unresolved cases. The letter he left behind holds the key to his twisted motivations and the full scope of his reign of terror, but its contents may never be fully understood, leaving a legacy of pain, loss, and unanswered mysteries. Following Israel Keys' death, the FBI made a plea for information from the public, hoping to fill the gaps in their knowledge about his crimes. They released a few of their interviews with Keyes, revealing his uncooperative and evasive demeanor, which hindered the investigators' efforts to uncover the full extent of his atrocities. As a result, the true fate and identities of many of his victims remain unknown, leaving behind countless unanswered questions. Keyes' surviving family members held a funeral for him not forgiving him for the heinous acts and condemning him to eternal torment. Although they obtained some closure regarding his ultimate fate, his dark legacy of terror remains. Speculations have arisen that the FBI allegedly reached an agreement with Keyes, leading to limited information about his crimes in exchange for some details. However, the lack of significant developments over the years casts doubt on this theory, leaving the case unresolved and shrouded in mystery. In 2020, the FBI released chilling drawings discovered under Keyes' jail cell bed. The drawings depicted 11 skulls and one pentagram, made using his own blood. One of the drawings contained the phrase, We are one, at the bottom. The FBI believes that the number of skulls correlates with the total number of his victims, adding to the disturbing enigma surrounding Keyes and his reign of terror. So... These photos of the 11 skulls and the pentagram. The pentagram was a sigil of Baphomet, which depicts the head of Baphomet and became associated with the Church of Satan. So, could this be a reference to the satanic murder that the media references? Was Israel Keys truly committing these satanic ritualistic murders? Or... Is it just another way that the media has sensationalized this case?
0: Not gonna lie, I wouldn't be surprised if the media did because the media has always and will always continue to just over-exaggerate what they're saying. So I wouldn't be surprised if he wasn't actually doing satanic rituals. Regrettably due to his death and the secrecy he maintained, it seems unlikely that this case will ever be fully solved leaving the true extent of his monstrous actions forever concealed in the shadows. Since the death of Israel Keyes, many internet sleuths have worked tirelessly to attempt to piece together the possible missing victims of Israel Keyes. Though not officially confirmed by him, Keyes is highly speculated to be responsible for the disappearance and death of 48-year-old Deborah Feldman, She would disappear from her apartment after last being seen on April 8th, 2009, correlating exactly with Keyes' self reported dates of abducting and murdering an East Coast woman.
1: Throughout her life, Deborah struggled with addictions. She was gripped by cocaine and heroin, among other substances. As her addictions worsened, she lost custody of her only son when he was 14, who she'd become very reliant on. Presumably, this sent her into a downward spiral. Deborah continued to live a somewhat transient lifestyle, and while many people in her life had turned their backs on her, Deborah would find even more comfort in the sensation cocaine and heroin brought. Her personal relationships were fizzling out, even the one with her own son, who was now an adult. There was a particular incident where Deborah visited her son and demanded the $400 he had just earned from his fast food job. She even resorted to threatening suicide if he didn't comply with her request. Initially, her son called her bluff and offered her a nearby knife. Though Deborah put down the knife and withdrew her threat, she still couldn't hide her desperation. She tearfully confessed that she needed the money to avoid eviction. In the end, her son gave in to his mother's plea, believing that it was what family does, despite the complexity of their relationship. Eventually, Deborah would begin to fund her addiction through sex work. Investigators believe it was sometime during one of these times she was partaking in sex work that she met Israel Keys, possibly posing as a potential client as he was known to use the services of sex workers. Despite the passage of time, Deborah Feldman’s fate and whereabouts remain shrouded in uncertainty, but her son remains haunted by the memory of his missing mother. During his interrogation, Israel Keyes admitted that on April 9, 2009, he abducted a female victim from a state on the East Coast and transported her across state lines to murder and dispose of her body in upstate New York. The investigators established a significant link to this particular victim after discovering that Keyes had frequently searched for Deborah's missing persons case on his computer shortly before his arrest. In addition, during interrogation investigators were sorting through a stack of missing persons photos showing them to Israel one by one which to each he would respond with nope 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 though when Deborah's picture was held up an investigator recalls that he quote hesitated he waited end quote and continued on to say quote I don't want to talk about her yet end quote promptly dropping the subject leaving any further insight into her disappearance forever concealed. To make matters worse, Keyes was familiar with the upstate New York area, owning that property just out of Constable New York. While investigators don't believe that Deborah is buried on said property, the possibility of her buried nearby is likely. Just because of Israel Keys' elusiveness and ability to get away with these crimes for so long... There are a lot of victims who are unknown, and therefore there is a lot of speculation on who these victims could be. I do recommend checking out the True Crime Bullshit podcast, hosted by Josh Hallmark, because he does go pretty in-depth into the possible identities of some of the victims.
0: Israel Keyes was notorious for traveling freely across the United States, and investigators believe that some dates they've uncovered could lead to answers in even more international missing person cases. Law enforcement is aware of the following dates of international travel. On April twentieth, two 2005 to April 25, 2005, he was in British Columbia. On October third, two 2001 to October thirty first, 2005, he was in Belize.
1: As we were sitting here reading that off, 2001 to 2005 sounded like a long time. Us. that's four years
0: that's four whole years yeah
1: so i did another research because we found that on the fbi's website
0: yeah like so that could one. that could
1: be prop that could be proper however a news site from belize lists that he was in the country from october 3rd 2005 to october 31st 2005 which sounds more likely more unless possible. he was unless he was actually like living in belize but it appears that he was Only in the country for a month, not four years. That's just a little uh, discrepancy that we noted. Multiple sources that say 2001 to 2005. However, other sources I'm finding are saying that it was only a month-long trip. I tend to believe that it was only a month-long trip, considering that he had a family at this point. Anyway, take it away, Eden. Eden march 1st 2007
0: to march 9th 2007 was when israel key was driving past canada to go to alaska april 24th 2007 to may the 4th 2007 he was in mexico and then fast forward december 11th 2008 to december 25th 2008 he was also in mexico when asked if he killed anyone during his time traveling through Canada, Israel Keys responded with a snide comment of, quote, Canadians don't count, end quote. Some speculate that his property in upstate New York provided him potential easy access to Ontario, Canada to hunt his victims as
1: well. I mentioned before in last week's episode that Israel Keys stayed in British Columbia and Yukon on his travels to up to alaska and a cbc article i found states that jeff bell one of the fbi officers who interrogated keys said the fbi wasn't sure if there were any canadian victims when they got to speaking about canada and he made that canadians don't count comment the fbi agent took it as a joke and just moved on but many other accounts say that it's hard to tell if he was joking and many investigators speculate that his travel through BC and Yukon to Alaska could have provided him an opportunity to commit more crimes. Israel Keys from the interrogations, it is apparent that he has a fucked up sense of humor. That comment just seems so weird to me.
0: I see, because, you know, sometimes, like, dark humor, I would assume that this is counting as dark humor. I don't know. To me, it's like... I could understand him being like, Canadians don't matter, ha ha. But at the same time, like, this is Israel Keys we're talking about, and I feel like he genuinely was like,
1: Canadians, Canadians don't, don't count. count. I
0: don't know what you're talking about. I didn't kill anybody there. Wink, wink.
1: That's why he says his body counts less than a dozen. Still, if I think honestly, I would think that he probably murdered more people than he's saying.
0: I feel like he did too, because he traveled freak more frequently than people are aware of, but also because, but no, my thing is, is that why would he only have 11 skulls painted? I don't know. Cause like it was, we are all one. Everyone speculates that the 11 skulls means that that's how many true victims. Cause what was it? He killed the couple, two mm-hmm. separate people, Speculate that it's Deborah, Bill, Lorraine, and Samantha.
1: And the young person who has possibly a wealthy grandmother
0: that's that's nine yeah so then there's two unidentified victims that we're not too sure of but even then like nine people is a shit ton of people yeah i'm always sick and tired of people being like that's so little and i'm like shoddy one person is
1: one person is one
0: person is like more than enough not that i'm condoning anything but like nine people is nine people more
1: than zero Why I say I think he killed more than 11 people. If his Canadians don't count comment was like not a joke after all. He wouldn't count them in his body count. Okay, you know what?
0: True. But you know what? It is plausible to me for him to have multiple like be related to multiple different murder cases around both United States and Canada. Yeah. Just like British Columbia, like the places he obviously visited just because, like, like I said, he the whole point of him killing people wasn't to gain the fame and to get the fans, because as we all know, unfortunately, if you're a serial killer, you will still have your Ooh la la Richard Ramirez. Oh my God, he's so <laughs> handsome, which is as in, like that's so unfortunate. But that's not what he was looking for. He wasn't looking for the fans and the fame. He just he just wanted to kill people. So I wouldn't be surprised if he killed
1: more than eleven as he 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 wanted to stay out of the spotlight as much mm-hmm. as possible and when his name was publicized he stopped cooperating entirely mm-hmm. and killed himself.
0: Yep. He didn't want it. He didn't want that fame style, no. that fame lifestyle. No. Yeah, he probably did kill way more people than he let on. Same because it was the same thing with Ted Bundy. He only like he only confirmed like 30, but like he was like I killed into the hundreds. Which I wouldn't be too surprised either. But this episode is not about him.
1: The persona of Israel Keys remains a complete mystery. Was he an edgelord who was trolling the investigators, as some people call him? Or like was he an actual meticulous serial killer who, who truly killed more than he's admitting to?
0: We went over what information is out there, but I'm sure like there is way more that Israel committed, Israel Israel did. Oh, yeah. We just we just this is the bare minimum. Like yeah, we like were I said, only... sorry, or like we said in the like the first episode, like there's little to no information on who he, who he killed, what he did, like very
1: little. Because exactly. he killed
0: himself and didn't say anything.
1: There's a lot of speculation out there naming potential victims of israel keys however the victims we named in the case today and last week uh, were ones that were solidly confirmed to be israel keys and the speculation on deborah to me that just seems to me, he 100
0: did it i don't care what anyone says he like the date he 100 did it
1: the nope nope oh
0: i don't want to talk about her yet and the search before he got arrested yeah weird that it's too much of a coincidence too much of a coincidence. he did it case closed
1: i actually really enjoyed doing these split cases these split episodes with you yeah so if if y'all like this kind of format uh leave a comment and let us know Maybe we'll do this in the future again. Maybe we'll make this the new normal. If you really don't like it, leave a comment and let us yes, know.
0: Just don't be too mad. Just
1: don't, don't be too. Don't mean. be. Don't be a hater. We can't be a we're lover. Be a lover. Um. What? Are you, what have you been up to? Are you up to anything fun now?
0: Today it's uh the 11th.
1: This episode will be going up on the 11th. My birthday's in like two weeks. Oh my god! Yeah. You should do hot pot.
0: The whole group, we a uh, broken friend group. A broken friend <laughs> group. We're not. We don't work together anymore. But uh
1: we'll meet up for hot pot for sure.
0: Yeah, because we didn't go the last time.
1: Text the group chat. Let's go. I don't Let's care go.
0: we're all going. I don't care if you're sick, dying, dead. It's we're all. Eden's you're all gonna be there
1: for Eden. Happy birthday, Eden. Thank you. Grazie. <laughs> all right, we'll catch y'all next week.
0: We'll catch you on the flip side, y'all.
1: And stay tuned.